Welcome back, everybody, to Cross the Crown episode is it 79. I don't even know what number we're on now. I can't tell. You've started and stopped 12 times. <laughs> Josh Copen joined by Doug Gooden. Doug is a pastor, a seminary president, ministry director, husband, father, and your local makeup salesman. He's the guy driving around with that uh, big banner across the back of his car. So if you need a good quality, is it esthetician or however you pronounce that? And the sales, Doug is your guy. He will get you. It is prom season. So give Doug a call. Uh, no, we're, we're glad to be back. We had a good positive reaction from the first podcast back. I know some people on Twitter enjoyed it. I think it's always nice, too, when the women are like, Oh, that was a great podcast. And we had someone commented on your lifting podcast and the importance of being in shape. And so that was good. Um, these days, was that your and, wife, by the way? No, no, no. My wife, was she, she's actually out of, at you. She's, yes. She's actually out of yoga class today. I did like day today and I told her, and I tweeted this out too. I look forward to annoying you the rest of the day with complaints about jello legs and <laughs> soreness. My wife, I remember when we were dating, I'm like, Everyone has a body part they're kind of attracted to. What is you on a guy? And she said, calves. And I'm like, you probably ought to break up with me now because I've been trying my entire life. So uh, I spent extra time on my calves for her. So it was a it was a leg day with some extra calf work. So sacrifice. There you go. Absolutely. I still can't dunk. So, you know, that's never going to happen. But I can touch the net. Mad hops there. Uh, were you a basketball player? I know you were a baseball player because you grew up in the St. Louis area. So by just by birth, you have to play baseball in St. Louis. So, yeah. Yeah. Baseball and football. Uh, did some pickup basketball around the neighborhood, but never, uh, never on a team or anything. Yeah. Our buddy, Blake White, whale of a basketball player, whale of a basketball player. That's what I hear. Yeah. I, I'd like to take him on one-on-one, one-on-one yep. sometime and uh, see how Did you ever goes. see that got- video of him in the, the uh, sumo wrestler suit? You know, you can get mm-hmm. sometimes and playing with his kids. He was still going between his legs and behind his back. It was pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, no, I played in junior high and then I played in youth league because my dad was the coach and I thought I'll get to shoot all the time. I'll have to ice my arm down. And he benched me for getting a technical foul because I blew a kiss at a friend because I made a half court shot in his face. I didn't, I'm like, man, dad's harder on me than my junior high coach was. So, <laughs> uh, so Doug is speaking of, of like all that and manhood, man, do people like I jokingly tweeted about Owen Strachan yesterday. I think is that how you pronounce his last name? Owen, uh, I said, Owen could wake up and go, oh, it's a beautiful day here in Arkansas. God's creation is amazing. And people be like, he hates all my, he hates my state. He hates every other state. It's ugly. And this is what happens when you view the patriarchy the way he does. Why is there such animosity or I want to say lack of understanding towards true biblical patriarchy? What does that even mean? And why do people hate that phrase? Well, actually, I have two thoughts as you bring that up. One is it's not just patriarchy. That is sort of the uh, the disease of social media mm-hmm. and our culture. If you affirm anything, you can be sure that people are going to interpret you in the worst possible way and and throw back at you. So that's part of what was going on there, no doubt. But to the to the question, you know, it's it's built into the curse. It goes all the way back to the curse on uh, on Eve, her part of the punishment for her rebellion against her maker and against her husband. And her desire is for her husband. And that's not the desire every husband wishes it was. That means Eve is going to want the position that was given to Adam, which was the authoritative position. We are in a feminist culture, a culture where Eve's curse 
is trumping Adam's curse. You know, there's been generations past where men were domineering, where they abused their authority, where they were too hard on their wives. That's not where we're at today. We're on the opposite end. I'm sure there are people like that, men like that. But by and large, as a culture, even as a Christian culture, we're on the other side where uh, women are taking on, they're, they're, they're uh, fighting against male authority in all forms. So when you make a, a statement like that out there in public, man, you're just asking for people to come back and say what they said. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so crazy to me, too, that there is just this attack. And there's an attack on women who want to affirm biblical roles by other women. It's really kind of sad. Like these women say, I love being at home. I love taking care of my husband and my kids and keeping the house and letting my husband. I think I saw some woman tweet. Yeah, my husband had to go dig in our sewer and unclog it. And that's gross. So I have no problem doing the dishes and cleaning. <laughs> and like, but she was attacked for that. Like, you need to be, a, you know, it should be equal. You should be like, what happened? Like, how is that an insult that this woman chooses to do this? We went from everyone live and let live, which used to be the kind of liberal view to now it's no, you have to fit in this box. And that is women must be working and must be doing this and they should be the head of the home. Like it just seems really extreme to me how we went from this to that in probably less than a decade, really. It's been quick. Well, again, that's what the enemy is uh, seeking to do. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, this is the ideology of our day, at least uh, a prominent one, mm -hmm. that is putting itself up against the things of Christ. And it's couched in the terms of cultural Marxism, socialism, feminism, all those isms. But at the end of the day, it's demonic, and it's the enemy seeking to destroy God's design for male and female and the family and Christian uh, values and, and such. And uh, so they got to take out uh, anybody who holds to traditional biblical right. truths in these in these areas. Well, and uh, men are to blame as much as anybody for this because, and here's what I think, men will do, Seinfeld joke, men will do anything to impress a woman. That's why we took a car to the moon. What is it? Why do we take a car to the moon other than there's a chance that we might have to take a woman on a date, right? So we'll do anything to impress women. And for a while from women, we heard, I don't think it was unfounded. I need you to talk to me. Just open up a little bit. And men went, okay. Then men went too far the other way. I noticed a lot of Christian women went, whoa, dude, I don't really need to hear you cry about how your mom did, you know, wasn't loving enough when you were five. Like, I need you to step up and be a man. You're, the fact that you're not getting the work done around the house has nothing to do with how you were treated. Like, so there are women who have gone, yeah, we maybe pushed that feelings thing a little too far. Anyway. Yeah, and that's there's a whole yeah. generation or two of men who've been raised with that, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to stop being so caught up in emotion and feeling mm -hmm. and uh, take the response. We're going to get response as, as leaders mm -hmm. in any capacity, in our home, in our jobs, whatever, in our church. Taking leadership means there's going to be people that push back or people just say things. You know, that's the other thing. We react, it seems like, to every question of our decision-making, everything that we do or say, we get pushback. And as men, we can be so unstable that we interpret those as these people are attacking me. They're fighting me. Nah, maybe they're just saying stuff because that's what people do. And we're overreacting to it. Yeah. And I think the concern, again, by, from the men's standpoint was we are trying to lead, but we don't want to be seen as Machiavellian or dominating. And so I think men were afraid 
to lead. And mm-hmm. because guess what? When you do that, there is occasionally going to be pushback. At times, yes, your wife is lovingly going to submit and do that. And other times, she's not going to do it. And the same way she is respecting you and you're not loving her. No matter mm-hmm. what she's doing, you are not responding well. And I think we just get so afraid of that. And we shouldn't be, right? I think we're just... As you, I think I've heard you say this before, peace at all costs sometimes in the home, which isn't what we should be doing either, right? Well, rather than cause a fight, I'm going to, eh, just I'll submit to her, right? And that causes problems too. Yeah, we, we have to get away from uh, trying to assert our authority or it's not about us being the leaders. It's about us doing what is right. Mm-hmm. So I have to make the best decision before God that I know to make. If the people in my household don't like it, that's a secondary issue. Uh, I need to decide what is right and go forward and recognize if, if the spirit of God is working in all of us, uh, then people are going to come around. And it's not everything's a, a big a deal as we tend to make it. Again, you get pushback. We have women tend to, and this is, this is a generalization, but women uh-huh. tend to be more forceful in their words than men are. I have a wife and two daughters. They speak much more passionately about everything than my son and I do. It's easy as a man to interpret that passion level as intense opposition when so often that's not the case and you have the discussion, you move on. And then later on, they're fine. They don't even, you know, we as men interpret that like, oh, she's really mad. And then a year, uh, I mean, an hour later, she's happy as a clam. What happened? She was intense and now she's not intense. Well, it's not because it was as big a deal as I perceived it. If I get defensive, if I react poorly, if I engage in a, in a battle with her because of the words that I'm just uh, setting up for more, for more fighting that uh, all that we got to get away from all that. What's the right thing to do here, make the decision and move forward. Yeah. And you can um, check out more on this. You've, you've talked about this before. It's on the YouTube site for Cross the Crown, crossthecrown.com, and all the previous podcasts are still there. So you can go .org, listen to yes. them. And so please go check it out, crossthecrown.org. I apologize. But uh, it's on iTunes and your other favorite podcasting sites. So you can find it. Please go check that out. Um, hey, before the- we leave that topic, yeah. um, what what are your thoughts on the uh, the molar? Did you see the molar statement a couple days ago? Maybe it was just yesterday on the uh, women pastorates and all that? Well, uh, I didn't read it, but I saw if Tom Buck endorsed it, it was probably a good thing. Um, I'm, as you know, I'm a Mueller fan. I'm sympathetic to some things. I think Mueller's in a political position, and I don't think that's easy sometimes. And I don't think we give Mueller enough credit. He's also brilliant, right? Like, I think he sometimes outthinks himself. But I think if Tom Buck and Tom Askell liked what he said, that's probably a good thing. It may get himself in trouble. It may cost him the SBC presidency. Um, I'd rather him stay where he is, but that's just me. Um, but I, I didn't read it. Did you? That's a long way to say no. I didn't read it. Yeah, I did read it. Uh, and it was, uh, it was really good. Uh, there are a few, you know, few things I wish maybe he'd said stronger, but by and large, the things he did say strongly, he said very, very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an outsider looking in, it's interesting. Uh, we are going through this in my own denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And in some ways, I would say we're ahead. We're, we're further down the path than the SBC is. In some ways, we're not there. We don't have the prominent Beth Moore-like teacher, which the SBC doesn't have anymore. Uh, so we don't have that standout personality to deal with, but the issues are there uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a battle. It's going to be waged in all the conservative, uh, churches and denominations here upcoming. Well, um, I was part of an SBC church for a while and I thought this is before JD Greer's kind of 
social justice leanings became public. But he's a reformed believer. He's a Calvinist, he's a four pointer, but he's a Calvinist. And I thought that would split the SBC between the arm. And that didn't happen. But it feels like that still needs to happen. But then there needs to be a split again over doctrinal truth and not like I, I believe it. If you're if your church or your organization is splitting over doctrinal truth, that's a good thing. Might be ugly, but that's a good thing because one side is staying true to scripture and the other side is feelings based, if you will. Right. Like it's not a terrible thing that there would be a split. Well, Moeller's argument is there is no split necessary because the uh, Baptist uh, faith and missions that was called the, uh, the doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Message that it already outlines this and whatever resolutions were passed. I forget a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, that he is clearly on the side of what the SBC has adopted. So anybody who's taking a different position, they're the ones outside the right. norm. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's sad on one hand that we're having to fight these battles, but on the other hand, there's a lot at stake in this particular discussion and debate about uh, women in ministry, women preaching, women as pastors in any sense. Uh, so I don't know, maybe we'll come back and do an episode and, yeah. and dissect his document or get into that. Uh, we've covered it in previous podcasts with my former hosts. Uh, so if you want to crack Plural. at it, we can do that yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and again, it's the SBC matters in so much as it's the largest denomination in the U.S. and does carry a lot of political weight. It's uh, conventions aren't like they used to be. They used to fill up football stadiums. It's not like that these days anymore, but uh, there's still a, a very heavy influence it has. And so I think it, it does matter. Uh, before we move on, I do want to address one thing that was brought up to me off the air by you, and that is we don't have theme music. Now, listen. The previous iteration of this podcast had theme music. I don't know who wrote it. I do know the voiceover was you trying to sound all big and bad. And adjusting. <laughs> That's Everyone can tell that. Um, and I- I'm willing to, if someone wants to submit some music, your son Gabe is incredibly talented. If he wanted, we could, you know, get him a Dutch Brothers gift card or something if he wanted to write some music for us. And I just want to apologize for everyone that we aren't as professional as the briefing or you know tom askell's podcast or you ben think Shapiro's theme music is going to make us professional <laughs> well i'm sitting on my couch and you're sitting in your office with yeah so no not at all you look like you have snowy mount sinai behind you or something i think you should do the theme music i think you should just hum hum a ditty at the beginning of each uh, each podcast that would uh, thrill the fans no doubt yeah i've had penny lane stuck in my ear like in my in my head for like the past three days so I don't think that's you want me humming anything because I don't think there's anything real manly about. I love the Beatles. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything real manly about humming Penny Lane. Um, so I wanted to talk about work and you work. I work. Um, we provide for our families. We are the sole providers. Uh, my wife has a part time job as a fill in nurse, but I'm pretty much the sole provider. Right. She works like one day a month if necessary. So. Why is working important? Because as I read scripture, Work was there before sin. Work was involved. It is clearly part of God's plan, no matter what it was, pre-sin, post-sin, for men to work. So why is that important now? Yeah, and I I would say that your wife works way more than uh, one day a week. And uh, you should say that, I mean, a month, you should say that too, so you don't get in trouble. No, my um, work, work is every day, a mother, and is the highest calling a woman can have, and she busts her hump every day, and I love her for it, and I love you, baby, and 
Okay, yeah, I'll you're welcome. Too. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a great uh, implicit distinction there. Work as God designed it for man is not simply the vocation, not, not simply the thing we do that we receive money for. Uh, that's a big part of it, but that's not it. God put Adam in the garden. And before he even made Eve, he said, here's your task as a man. Your task is to produce. Uh, so work maybe isn't even a good word for us to use in this day and age because we think of I go here and do these things and they pay me money. But it's it's being productive. That's what we're called to do, to cultivate. That's what the word he uses there is cultivate. So he gave him a head start, right? The uh, the the uh, old joke about which came first, the chicken or the egg. We know the answer to that question. The chicken came first. He created mature animals and mature trees and or at least some of them were that way. And then he said, okay, now you make more. So you have to learn how these animals are kept healthy and fruitful and productive. You have to learn how to make more corn and more potatoes and more tomatoes and all those things and dive in with this productivity goal to take this world I've created and conquer it and bring civilization and all that. So that's still our charge today. Now we may do it differently. You do it uh, doing a certain thing online with a social media company and, and that, or for with social media and they do pay you for it. And part of what your job is to figure out, okay, how am I actually helping this world, building this world, but that's not all you do. You know, we were talking last week and you're out working on your, on your fence and your, your new house, that kind of thing. Well, that's part of this little corner of creation God has given you as a man. And you are saying, how do I protect it? How do I guard it? How do I cultivate it, make it fruitful, uh, raise flowers or uh, grass? I don't know if you guys have grass down there in Arizona, whatever. That's right. the idea is you are, that's all work. That's all productivity. That's all taking care of what God has entrusted. That's our calling as men and our wives are given to us as helpmates, but that's one of the major ways we glorify God. And would you argue for a married man, we'll ask about single man in a moment, is taking care of your home, is loving your wife well and taking care of your children as well, not just a God-given responsibility, but is that work as well? Is being in the home and taking care of the home, and is that, would you consider under that umbrella work, or would that be a separate category? Uh, flesh that out a little bit more. Like, Well, if uh, you're you saying, mean? like, working, you know, taking care of my yard and trying to get grass to grow, which is going the wrong way on an escalator in Arizona, but nevertheless, I'm trying it. But trying to get grass to grow and plant things and um, – Therefore, that is work. That is effort to protect my home and make it be what I need it to be. Well, isn't that what you're doing in loving your wife and raising your kids too? You're protecting your home from false doctrine, false whatever. And a, a, a healthy marriage is usually what, usually not always, but usually what leads to um, solid children, right? Like if, if the husband and wife are well, you're going to have, generally speaking, well-trained children who love the Lord and come up in that, in that manner as well. So would you consider that work or is that just completely separate? Yeah, I would consider that work. Um, Maybe again, I would nuance this discussion just a little bit. Uh, The, I love my wife. I am called to cherish her like Jesus cherishes me. Right. Mm -hmm. But we, again, we, we've taken that and abstracted it. Jesus doesn't just sit around pondering wonderful thoughts of Doug. Oh, I just love Doug so much. How can I make him feel really special today? I don't see the scripture teaching that. 
the, the Lord blesses me and, and bestows blessing on me for a variety of reasons. But one of those is, and I would say a predominant one, is he is using me to accomplish his purposes, right? He has a purpose in it. Beyond it, I don't want to say he doesn't do it um, to, 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 to bless me. Uh, he does, clearly to bless me. But it's also to make me more like him to accomplish the mission he's given to me, or m- more accurately, to accomplish his mission. Well, the same thing I should be doing with my wife. Uh, you know, we go on dates, we go have dinner together, we take long walks together and all those things. And yes, I want to bless her. I want to cherish her and, and that, but I'm also inviting her in, bringing her into my mission. Part of that mission is raising our kids. So it's work with a purpose. Maybe it's, it's not simply we live in this Disney-fied uh, world where I'm just the most supposed to make her heart go pitter-patter all the time. And she's supposed to look at me and bat her eyes and, oh, isn't that wonderful? That stuff sort of comes naturally if you're doing it right. But we have a mission to accomplish. And she's my helpmate in accomplishing that mission. So whether she's working right here along my side or raising the kids or grocery shopping or whatever, Her mindset needs to be, how do I help Doug complete the mission God has given him? And my job is to train her, equip her, bring her along in that mission. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, and real quick too, if people want, you have written a book um, about marriage, both pre and kind of after what to do. Is it, you, you explained, because I I have it, I've read it, but I want to know, okay, what's the title? Because you have two. So Explain. It's a book about marriage and it's also a book about getting married. So go ahead. Yeah. The first iteration, it, they're, they're both called God's Design for Marriage. One is the pre-married edition. One is the married edition. Uh, the content is largely the same. So you don't need both. Um, certainly if you're married, you don't need the pre-married version. Uh, so what I did is I, I, I did premarital counseling for years and uh, wrote a bunch of stuff down and used that as sort of my tool and I used to spend a lot of time in premarital counseling teaching. My wife and I would get with the couples and I would teach them all of these things. And I and the guys especially, their eyes would glaze over just too much information and what am I getting myself into and I can't do all this and that kind of thing. And I began to realize what they really need to be doing is talking to each other. So I put it in book form. Every couple of pages, there's a stop and discuss question. And the idea is now with my premarried counselees, I hand it to them. I say, here's the schedule. You need to to read through this book together, have conversations together, and then come see me and Krista, and we will know you're getting all the content that I want you to get. Then we can drill down in our premarital time on the, the major issues and the, the most uh, significant areas that we see we need to dive into, but I know they got all the content. So I used that for years in premarital counseling. I kept getting uh, emails and, and text messages and things from people, married people saying, this was great, this was great, you should do a married edition. And so I went through and reworked all the questions and I expanded a couple of sections like the sex chapter in the pre-married edition is careful because these people are not supposed to be doing any, any of these things. It's a little expanded and the questions become a little different in the, uh, the, in the married edition. There's some things that are unique to the pre-marrieds that married people don't need to, uh, to mess with in other areas. So, uh, but the content is largely the same and yeah, it's designed to be, you know, I kind of, offhandedly call it uh, uh, marriage counseling in a book or premarital counseling in a book. Yeah. And uh, it's available across the crown.org. Um, you can pick either one if you want, and that's fine. And uh, there's some other books there as well. Uh, another one that Doug has written about um, the, the, um, 
Jesus is called exalted, right? And, and putting Jesus in, in his proper place, I, I, right? Correct. And so yes. um, it's a good book I've read. It's not long either. It's an easy read. Then again, I know you, it sounds like you're preaching. So I like that. It's just, it's in Doug voice, which is good. So I think that's, that's a good book. Um, in terms of work, um, should a Christian ever pick up and move? Um, let's, uh, let's, let's back up. You're at a good church. You're involved. Your wife loves it. You love it. But your company offers you your dream job. And it's going to double, triple your salary. And you're moving from, I don't know. Duluth, Georgia now to Spokane, Washington, right? You're going from one extreme to the other, from a historically red state to a very blue state. And you just don't know if there's going to be a good church there. You've Googled the Gospel Coalition and nine marks, and you're just not seeing anything super close to where you're going to go. And you're just like, I don't know what we should do. Dream job versus faithfully serving in a church, but able to financially comfort your family what happens there because i i've i struggle with that i think i moved to arizona one time too quickly because i was unemployed i'd been laid off from work um i was collecting unemployment it was fine but not as good as people are getting now but that's a discussion for another time and i just well i need the job the lord's given me a job i'm gonna go so do you think i don't know just what do you think about that situation because it, it, it could be just specific to each person so yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, and I, I wouldn't want to make a blanket statement and say, this is the, the law of the Medes and Persians for everybody. Right. Uh, it's a big deal to move to a place where you can't find a, a good, solid church. That, that has impact. It's one thing if you're a single guy. Um, it's another thing if you have a wife and or children, right? So now you're in this, this church that's not a great church and you're raising your family there. And that creates a lot of challenges that now you have to to overcome, which uh, the extra finances, you may decide that wasn't worth it. That wasn't a good move. On the other hand, not being able to support your family, not being able to pay your bills, that's a big deal as well. And, uh, you know, if, uh, so you need to, you need to look around and say, okay, here's the, you know, do a simple cost benefits analysis kind of thing. What's my return on investment here? These days, obviously you can get online and you can research churches pretty thoroughly before you go. You can make phone calls, uh, seek recommendations, and you can also apply for other jobs in your area uh, and pray and ask the Lord and say, hey, we don't want to give this up. Would you provide a, another job? Uh, those are hard, hard things. And I, I get this a lot, uh, this question quite a bit, because a lot these days for a company to relocate you is pretty, uh, pretty common. And, uh, and all this factors in, I, uh, we just had a, a family leave our church, a young married couple leave our church on Sunday, moving to uh, Tennessee. And uh, they said their biggest concern by far is, uh, can they find a church? They, they love our church. They've been discipled well. They appreciate how we approach things. And it's changed forever their view of what church should be. And uh, that's, a, that's a concern for them. Um, and they came and sought counsel. Like, should we do this? The money is going to be really good. It's, it's helping me in a, in a forward career path, but we're giving up uh, a great community here. Is that a good thing? And, you know, we talked through it, prayed through it and said, I can't give you the answer. You have to take the Lord in this, but yeah, there's a cost there. If you can't find a really solid church, uh, it's tough. It is tough. And I think, um, 
I ended up, like you said, as a single person, it was easier for me. I ended up driving an hour and a half to church every week for a while. And I lived in Arizona the first time to Phoenix to go to Jeff Volker's Paul Honeycutt's church there, Jason's um, the new covenant Bible fellowship. And one of those things that ties in with that is Jeff would always say, we have a lot of freedom in Christ. And that scares some people sometimes because God's will is pretty large. And it's basically, if you're not sinning, you're not going against scripture, you're probably inside of God's will. And so, oh man, what do I do? Right. And, but eventually you will end up where you're supposed to be and God will grow you and make you more like Christ. And I think that's important to, if you move and go, this wasn't the right decision. Well, that was God showing you this wasn't the right decision and you move. Right. And, and so I think you, what um, would cause you to say this was not the right decision? I think uh, it could be a workplace situation, obviously like, no, this isn't working out or um, the things that were important to us at that church that we were faithful at, they're just not here. And we have looked and um, not to be selfish in this way. I think you understand what I'm saying. Our gifts aren't being used. We can't serve. We're not being served. Our children aren't being served. If you have kids, this is this was clearly not the right decision. And there could be other times where I don't know what to do, right? Like, yeah, you could be settled in your company. You'd be like, we're going to move you back. And you're like, well, we like it here now. What do we do? We found a good church. And do we go back, right? So yeah. well, I ask because so often our view of God's will and God's blessing and God's leading is he's only going to lead me to a place that's better and easier and more fun. Well, that's not true. That is clearly not true. (laughs) And it can be that you go to a place where the the job is miserable. Well, that doesn't mean it wasn't God's will. It doesn't mean it's uh, he's, you know, uh, against you or you missed it. That could very well be what he intended for you. He does discipline us. He does bring us through hard times. He tests our faith and we must get out of that mindset that, uh, yeah, but this is not easy street. I'm on the wrong street. Why is finding a church sometimes so difficult? Um, I just, we were just looking and, and you and I have talked about this privately. And I don't want to share our specific issues, but if you could find a church where the preaching's good and the music's not, is that worth not going? Or, you know, your wife has concerns about the children and what could be, you know, how they could be cared for. And those are legitimate. Those need to be heard. And so why, and I think I saw, I know people jump down Jared Wilson's throat from time to time, but why he was right when he said, if you're trying to find a church that meets all of your needs, you're probably not going to worship Christ. You're going to comfort yourself. So why is finding a church so hard? Why do we get hung up on some major things and some minor things? Why is that such a difficult task for us? Good question. Uh, on the other end of that, as the, the pastor of a church where people come and, oh, I wish you had this, or we really like this about the church, but you know, we're going to go try something else because right. they have this or whatever, uh, that introduces all those same kind of questions from me as well from a different mm-hmm. perspective. Uh, it's part of our, our day and age, part of, uh, you know, we, we expect churches to meet our needs. That really is, even if we say we don't, that's uh, oftentimes I think what we, we really do uh, expect. We have preferences that we easily uh, transition to spiritualize and, and, and this, is, this is what we must have as opposed to, no, we prefer that. Um, it's easy to forget what church is. You know, we make a big deal of the gathering and 
it is significant. Don't get me wrong, but the church is not a meeting or a meeting place. The church is a people, and it we got to go to these to, to check out churches based on are they preaching the gospel? Are they holding the scripture in high esteem? Those kind of things. And we can talk more about those criteria, but also do I sense here people loving one another, practicing the one another's, is there true fellowship, not just a fun group, but is there true fellowship? Are there people who are challenging one another? Uh, are there people who are calling sin out in one another, not in a, in a dom, uh, a self-righteous way, but you know, are we helping each other, stimulating one another to love and good deeds, that kind of thing. Of course, they can go the other way too, where it can be, uh, man, here's this list. And if you don't meet all these criteria, then you're clearly not a good Christian. Don't want that either. But uh, what are the things the scripture teaches? And do you see that among the people as opposed to Sunday morning being the end all be all of everything? And I think there are things that if you know you can find that are more theologically in line with you, you should go. Um, assuming, like I said, those other things are there. Um, you and I, New Covenant guys, we hold to a New Covenant view of Scripture. And I think it is okay to legitimately say, yes, I know the gospel is preached, and it's true, at this PCA church down the road. But there would probably be half the Sundays where I'm like, mm, mm, mm. If that's going to be the case, can you suffer through that, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, or should you go find another church? And I think that's entirely up to you, as long as you know there's a better option for more theological something or hermeneutics that you would be in. If not, and that guy's preaching the gospel, I'm going to tell you, pop yourself down there. If they're, you know what I mean? So I, I think those are things, too, that it's okay to consider leaving. Well, you have to consider all these things. Uh... Back to your original question, before you uh, commit to a church, you got to do your homework and you got to, you know, set some time, give yourself three months, six months or whatever. There's nothing that says because you go there several weeks in a row and start meeting people that you are committed, uh, yeah. be honest with yourselves, be honest with them and say, we really, we, we don't want to be church hoppers, right? We don't want to just jump around. So before we commit, we're going to really evaluate carefully. And then once we commit, we're in. And going to put up with all the things we don't like unless it just goes beyond what we can possibly stand biblically. But uh, I think sometimes we jump in too quickly. And it's hard. You, you spend three or four months there and you've already begun to build some relationships. It's hard to then leave there and go somewhere else. But uh, I mean, obviously, obviously, I've been in the same church for 22 plus years now, and uh, I haven't had to look for a church in a long, long time. So I don't know what that's like on 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 the uh, congregants end only on the pastor's end. But um, uh, if I were doing this, I would uh, be very slow to commit to a church. And then I would be all in from that point forward, unless I couldn't. Yeah. And I want to encourage P uh, someone who's done the research and helped a couple of churches set up their online stream. Your online stream, generally speaking, is not keeping people from coming. It's actually letting them see whether or not they want to come. Statistics show it actually helps your overall numbers. So I would encourage people to have a good quality online stream and know the virtual church isn't a thing, but it is beneficial to people like my grandfather who has to take care of my grandmother's in her nineties in a nursing home and they can still watch church. So I'd, I would also remind people, yes, there's a person who's like, I don't need to go. I watch, but there's also the person who's like, we would be there if we could. So we, or if you know, you live in Colorado Springs, snow becomes an option, but you could still do a church for you know, the online. So I just want to encourage people. The online thing isn't this like horrible thing you think it is. 
Just and you know what we saw in 2020, uh, I rejoiced that we had the online option during COVID, during the uh, lockdowns. Yeah. Is it ideal? No. no. And yeah, we had some concerns that uh, maybe people would get too comfortable with this and not want to come back and meet in person. Um, but it was an opportunity when everybody was forced to stay home to uh, to still preach the word, to still have some form of, of fellowship and interaction. And what we found was, you know, we were one of the early churches around here to open the doors, even when, you know, 95% of the churches were closed. We opened up as soon as the governor and his grace allowed us to. And even, uh, even there, we were tempted to do it before the governor allowed us to. And uh, as soon as we opened the doors, we had a pretty full house and it's continued to grow since then. We have not found that people would rather watch the service in their PJs than come. Part of it's because that's what they, they get it. The church is not just about watching something on the line. They want to be around other people. They want to sing praise with the congregation, the fellowship that happens before and after the formal service. All of that matters to, to Christians that are being taught well and, and fellowshipping well. Yeah, and a Christian, you know, what did Jesus say? I was reminded of this last week. You will know your disciples by what? Your love for one another. A Christian will want to be involved with the body of Christ, and they are when they are saved. I think that becomes a natural thing too to realize I need to be around other believers. I need mm-hmm. to be encouraged by them and encourage them. And um, yeah, I was just reminded of that that the true Christian will want to be around the body of Christ. And so I would encourage people to to get plugged into a good church, but um, to the pastors and elders. Don't be afraid of the online thing. It's not going to yeah. discourage you. And uh, speaking of online, we, I want to mention this every week, crossthecrown.org and the New Covenant School of Theology. Um, uh, is it newcovenantschooloftheology.org as well? Yes. Um, you can go on there and just take a glimpse of what Doug is teaching and the professors there are teaching. Um, it, like you said, you flip kind of seminary on its head and how you do it's more about training and growing uh men to to be pastors or to be elders or to just give a really great solid foundation for being a lay person too i i think mm-hmm. that's really important too if i would be willing to bet you being a pastor for 22 years have been just as encouraged by the lay person as you have the elder who can come along and um who is solid in truth you know who just i don't want to be an elder and that's fine they might be qualified to be an elder, but they don't want to be an elder. And they've been faithful and encouraging. And, and it's because they have a great um, just leadership around them. And so I would encourage people to check out newcovenantschooltheology.org. And, but you can also take Greek, too, while you're at it. So <laughs> good. You can be a paradidomide. Hand it over oh, to these people. Very good. Thank don't you. do that. No? Okay. Yeah. Don't be that person. <laughs> right. There's nothing worse. Uh, my buddy, Brian Vickers uh, at Southern was always like, you can always tell the first year Greek students in chapel like, oh, and in the Greek, he's like, don't just don't just yeah. don't. We, we know we can tell you're a first year Greek student. We just had a th- three graduates and uh, they finished up all of their formal Greek. And mm-hmm. uh, and now they're launching into using that Greek. And that was the last thing I said to him. You guys, every one of you are going to commit the the same sin that I did and everybody else does. You're suddenly an expert in Greek because you mm-hmm. took a couple years of it. Yeah, you're a long ways from really mastering this language, but you have a, a good starting place. But they will. They'll be teaching a class. They'll be lecturing somebody and saying, oh, well, the Greek says, and they'll get it yeah. wrong. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that wasn't. I told you, I'm still like, I guess it's Eris because I can't tell what it means. That's my good <laughs> default. I think that's Eris because I can't tell what it means. Anyway, but uh, so before we go, is there anything in terms of encouragement you want to provide to 
because uh, I mentioned them earlier and we didn't get back to it. Just single people, men and women in the church who listen to this, who um, you, I'm, I'm sure you hear that sometimes they feel neglected or everything's about marriage or about raising families. And how can they love and serve and not feel like second class citizens? Like, because I think that is a legitimate concern with churches that have small groups and it's seven couples and one single person, right? So how do you, how do you encourage the, the single person as, as they go forth here? Yeah, I hear that uh, now and then I have, uh, you know, three single children in the church. Two of them are girls who are uh, young adults now, and my son is not far behind. So I, I, I am experiencing some of that uh, firsthand. Uh, sir, I would start with just an admonition to those of us in church leadership and those of us who are married uh, to be aware that uh, that non-married folks can feel that way at times, and uh, we should be careful not to forget that they are part of our body. And you know, my wife and I have invited uh, single people into our home uh, forever. I mean, that's just part of our DNA. Uh, we have young gals, young guys that just kind of they walk in without knocking. You know, they, on Sunday afternoons, and uh, they're just part of the family. And uh, so we want them to understand we love you and we care about you and, uh, and you're welcome here. Our, our small group has uh, non-married people in that. And we, we strive very hard not to make them feel like second-class citizens, as you, as you said. For those who are not married, I would say you do have to guard your own heart. You can, uh, you can have what's called confirmation bias. You go into the room thinking that these people don't care about you. And sure enough, you can find justification for that view, which may not be there at all. So you do have to watch that you don't get self-pitying and bitter and, uh, and resentful and, and transfer your desires on to others and the, the feeling of neglect you have. You have to watch out for discontentment, of course. Uh, you've got to realize that uh, uh, there's a temptation there to not have what you want and to be discontent. On the other side, I would say Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 7. You're not single so that you can party more, so that you can go hiking more, so that you can be better at video games or whatever your hobbies are. He says there, those of us who are married, we have to spend a lot of time on the things of the world. And in that context, the things of the world is our family. So on one hand, getting back to our earlier discussion, my time with my wife and children. That's what I'm called to do as a, as a dad and a, as a husband. And I need to do that. And that's, that's part of my mission, but there's ministry. There's, there's helping others build the kingdom of God that I can't do because I must devote time to my family. And that's what Paul means by uh, things of the world in that context. On the other hand, he says, if you're not married, you are free to use lots and lots of time building the kingdom. And I would say that, and I tell this to my, to my kids and they're doing it, uh, don't sit around worrying about what you don't have, fulfill your calling to build the kingdom of God, uh, to build the world, both, both sense of the kingdom of God, the, the church and the, the broader kingdom and fill your time, fill your thoughts with how can you serve him? If you want to get married, that's going to be very attractive to the kind of people you want to attract, frankly. Uh, but the more you sit around saying, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, we can all do that. Married people can do that too. We, we got to avoid that. But just realize this is for a season, Lord willing, and you can get a lot done for the kingdom of God. And that will be very, very rewarding. And you pray and you seek the Lord and say, Lord, I want to get married. That's my desire. Would you provide the spouse? In the meantime, I'm going to wait on you, trust on you, and I'm going to pursue the things you have laid right here in front of me to, to pursue. I will say, uh, you know, we're in a day and age where young men, especially 
seem to be hesitant and afraid to pursue women. And there are a lot of women that want to get married, men that want to get married. They just don't get together. And uh, we have, as a church, have to encourage more of that and help these men, especially take take the lead in that. Um, it's okay. Interesting how this culture's working. Out for coffee. It's okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And if she says no, it's not the end of the world. And she yeah. says yes, doesn't mean she wants to marry you. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, and I would say this too, and and I mean this from a macro level. Don't make your goal marriage. Don't be defined by that as a single person. But to the married people, don't shame that person because they're still single. They're aware they're single. They went at every wedding, they don't need to be like, hey, when are we going to see you up here? Like that grows old and wears on them after a while. I say that as someone who wasn't married till he was 37 and has, as you know, can take a good joke. But after a while, it wears on you. So I just would encourage the married people that way, too. Like they, they're aware they're single. They know. So, um, well, Doug, I think that, that was a good uh, second podcast back. We'll try and get some music or I'll just record myself humming something uh, next time we'll look at some more uh, cultural issues, but I also I want to circle back to something you and Chris had addressed before, and that is this concept of manliness and strength. Uh, it doesn't have to be the whole podcast, but I think that's important to 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 address those things. And uh, abs, big calves, manly absolutely. calves, abs, calves, and uh, curls for the girls, as they like to say. <laughs> so no, we can talk about that and something that our buddy Larry McCall touched on at uh, a conference we saw. What it means to take care of our bodies in general, too, because I think that's important. And rest is okay. It's okay to sleep in if you wake up and your body's like Mm-mm, not today. That's usually a sign to rest. But we'll talk about that. Well, that's it. That's all I got. You got anything you want to close us in prayer, encourage some people as they go, as they're finishing their commute, as they're getting done working out as we speak. Let's do it. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for calling us as men and women to serve you. Uh, We thank you for working in us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the word of God that teaches us. Uh, Lord, we want to grow in all these areas. These are very practical things, male, manhood, women, womanhood, singleness, married relationships, fathers, husbands, all of these things. We want to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. That means we, we have to learn what you want for us to do in all these areas. So, Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that our discussion here would be edifying to those who, uh, who need to get stronger in any, any of these areas or need encouragement or need to think differently about these things. Uh, Lord, I can't possibly know the, uh, the state of mind of any of our listeners, but you know them all. You care about them all, and you are sovereignly and graciously working in all who love you and know you. Uh, Lord, so would you use this time and, uh, and encourage the hearts of your people? We pray this for your glory, for our good. Amen.